0: Wellness Force Radio, episode 34.
1: In every case, as we move down the layers, it always came down to an emotion. People don't want to lose weight for the sake of losing weight. And the thought of losing weight doesn't excite anyone. What excites them is the ways that their life will change with the blossoming of that goal. So people don't want to lose weight for the sake of weight loss itself. They want to lose weight because they want to feel more empowered, more fulfilled, more of a sense of joy. And what we realize when we see that, when we can really see it, we realize that it's important to take practices on a daily basis that reinforce what I call those goal emotions
0: wellness force radio welcome back for another episode i am your host and digital health coach josh trent thanks for sharing this small slice of your day here with me on the podcast if it's your first time tuning in wellness force radio is where you get the most inspiring and passionate experts in behavior change and wellness technology these are the thought leaders they dedicate their lives to empowering us with the knowledge and tools that drive real transformation in our physical and emotional wellness. I am so glad you're here for today's show. And before we bring on our special guest, I want to let you in on something really special and exciting. It's coming in 2016 for Wellness Force. You know, one of the things we'll talk about today is taking inspired action. And that's exactly what I've done over the past six months by building you a 120-day wellness program starting this February 15th. I built this program after realizing that the problem with being healthy and losing weight in the modern world is that we live in this age of overinformation and not enough accountability. Essentially, all the information we need is on Google, so then why are so many people still overweight? It's because they're overwhelmed, specifically moms. Moms have the power to inspire their family because if moms are a healthy example, that's what kids learn, and that's what I wished I could have learned as an overweight kid. So to rise above all the noise, I've leveraged proven strategy and wellness technology from over 10,000 hours coaching clients to create a trusted bridge between the knowing and the doing for what I believe will give a busy mom the clarity and the inspiration to cut through all the confusion, to take step-by-step action so that she can let go of old weight and have more energy. These 120 days are radically different than other programs because I've spent the past 12 years of my life getting ready for you. Applications open up on January 15th for 12 selected people, so to learn more, head on over to wellnessforce.com slash 120, or tap the screen on your iPhone right now, and the link will show up in purple. Okay, let's get this party started. Today's guest, David Zappozotti, has a degree in exercise physiology from Westchester University of Pennsylvania. In his 20 years in the health and fitness industry, David has been a personal trainer, metabolic typing practitioner boot camp instructor, martial arts teacher, and public speaker on healthy living. He also founded a functional fitness and nutrition center in San Diego, and in nine years, he was extensively featured on Fox News, KUSI-TV, local television and radio programs throughout California. But more important than any of his credentials, David has a deep faith in the beauty and greatness of humanity, and is very determined to help others to see and embody the greatness within themselves. Through this faith and determination, he has inspired and guided many people to transform their lives throughout his career. David is the international best-selling author of Immovable Heart, Unstoppable Mind, a personal guide to the six essential practices for living a healthy and fulfilling life. He's also my new friend and recently a new dad. David, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Josh. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be here.
0: Today's show is so exciting to me because it's powerful. We're talking about the most important cornerstone for any fitness or wellness program, and that is the power of the mind and mindset. But David, before we jump into the show, I'd love for you to share a fun fact, maybe something that people might not know about you.
1: Well, I just had a baby girl, my wife and I. Um, She is actually 11 weeks old now, and she's just that she's like right on the verge of laughing. We have her smiling all the time, and uh, and it's just so amazing. My my life has been completely transformed in the last eleven weeks, in ways that I was expecting, and in ways that I was not expecting at all. Just unbelievable.
0: What's been the most blessing and the most joy you felt? Is there any one thing specifically about having a baby?
1: You know, I um I used to work at home, and now I just can't do that because I you know I'll, I'm too tempted to hang out with her and stuff. So I actually go to the library. Or I go somewhere else quiet where I can do my work. And when I come home and you know, I hang out with my wife and my daughter, I just lay my daughter on my chest and she's sleeping. She's still a little baby, so she's sleeping a lot. I just lay there with her on my chest and it's just nothing beats that.
0: That is so cool, man. Well, I, I have a, a niece and there's actually a second niece that was born. So I definitely share in the love for kids have this Beautiful ability to remind you like what's really important in life. It's so cool Well, david we shared this unique common thread. I mean outside of our love for for wellness and that is being a personal trainer You know one of the things that used to burn me out being in gyms for 10 plus years was that I had this intuitive feeling at about year five that even when clients would come see me three times a week Sometimes four they weren't getting the results they paid for and that they deserved and I I got frustrated man I I took this on and I went out and got like every certification I could imagine, you know, metabolic typing, functional diagnostic nutrition, four to five different fitness certifications. But I could see looking back that it, it wasn't about my level of education or even my ability to motivate. It was really about my emotional intelligence and learning how to ask the right questions to the people that I worked with. And I'm curious, man, can you share with us why you became a trainer and eventually opened up your own facility to then close it? And become a best-selling author. I mean, how has emotional intelligence played a role in your journey?
1: You know, it's pretty funny because my, its from what you just described about yourself, I think I went through a very similar type of thing. You know, I, my career has taken a lot of different twists and turns. Like you said earlier, I've been a trainer, nutritionist, martial arts teacher, bootcamp instructor, all different kinds of things. Now I'm more of an author and a speaker at this point. Um... But there's one thing that's never changed, and that's that from the very beginning, a little over 20 years ago when I first stepped foot in this industry, I had a strong desire to really get to the bottom line of what's really going on with our health. Why is it that our country every year spends billions and billions of dollars on health, and every year it's still the most unhealthy it's ever been? Obviously, something we're doing isn't working. And so from the very beginning, I was challenging the most commonly held practices and the most commonly held beliefs that we hold to be true about health and fitness. So when I first started in in the industry, when I had no experience, I believed that I was going to be able to help people in a significant way by finding the best nutrition program, the best exercise program, putting everybody on it, and then everyone would be successful and we'd all be dancing around and happy and life would be a joy. <laughs> but it, did, it didn't quite work out that way. You know, I, I tried the Atkins diet, the Zone diet, the Pritigan diet, the, all different kinds of diets. Same thing with exercise, all different kinds of exercise modalities. And what I found, isn't that like one of them? I'm not, I'm not here to promote or to negate any one type of program. What I'm here to say is that there's no one program that works well for everybody. There's no one food that works well for everyone. There's no form of exercise that works well for everyone. You and I are individuals and what works well for you might actually be detrimental for me. So after years of experimenting with all these programs, I realized that I wasn't going to find the answers that way. So then I went to my next area of focus, which was individualization, which made sense. You know, I realized there's no one program that works for everyone. So if I can individualize as deeply as possible, then I'd be able to have the same thing. I was imagining I'd have all these people have success. We'd all be happy and joyful. And, Even though the individualization was very valuable for me, you know, I did the metabolic typing. I used to test people's metabolism with blood, urine, and saliva, find out what they should be eating based on their biochemistry. For exercise, I was doing postural assessments, core function assessments, dynamic movement pattern assessments. I'd do an hour and a half of assessments before I'd work with anyone on the floor with weight training or whatever we were doing for exercise. But still, with all of that individualization, what I found was still – pretty close to the same, the, the, a large majority of people didn't get the results they were wanting, and a few people did, regardless of how individualized I made it. So I realized that even though individualization is important, there was still something I was missing. Um, now one thing that, that I should mention that definitely helped me was that at the same time I got into the fitness industry, I also got very into like meditation and spirituality and stuff like that, so when I wasn't working or doing work-related research, i was meditating or reading about saints and sages of different religions and and just getting my mind expanded to different perspectives or ways of looking at things and looking at the world and so i got into a pretty consistent meditation practice and what that did for me is it it brought about a centeredness and a clarity that no amount of studying was going to be able to give me not the studying was very valuable, but there was a centering that came with the meditation that helped me to take what I was studying and see creative avenues I could use it with that I couldn't see before. So it's sort of like if you're looking for your keys, you lost them and you're looking all over the place all over and you can't find them. And then you just sit there and relax for a second. And then it just pops into your head. You know where they are. You absolutely know for sure, because now You've had that recognition, that clarity from yeah. a, a moment of silence.
0: What about retracing your steps though? You know, when they say you lose your keys, just retrace your steps. Do you feel like it's more powerful when you're trying to remember something to just be still?
1: I feel that in myself. You know, most of the, when I wrote the my book, Immovable Heart Unstoppable, I wrote it in six months. It's uh, 226 pages. I didn't join any writing groups or any, like, I didn't do any of that kind of stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, but I just... Meditated every day. And if I ever felt like, you know, a little bit, I didn't really get stuck too much in the book, but when I was writing it, there might be some areas where I wanted to figure out how to write it a little bit more clearly. I would just go and meditate and just go step away from it, just create some distance, just get into meditating. And the answers would always come. I just have that trust that if I just quiet myself, It'll come. I'm, I just see myself as a vessel. And the more I can quiet myself, the more it can come through.
0: You mentioned in the book that you had this period of your own physical and kind of relational and emotional. And even it sounds like business, things weren't working. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It's
1: funny because when you were talking about getting frustrated with having your clients have success, I had the same thing. And what I realized is that the way that I was trying to work with my clients, and the way that I was running my business, the source of my frustration was the same as their source of frustration. I wasn't getting to the root of the problem with my clients, which means I wasn't running my business in the way that would be effective. What I came to realize, let me take a step back before I get into the business and and tell you something I realized that led me to write write this book. Mm -hmm. In early 2013, I was in my front yard meditating. and I had gone through years of working with clients and you know trying to help people that were stuck and frustrated and trying to figure out what it is what is it really that that is the key to helping people and in early 2013 i was meditating in my front yard and it was like i found the keys i realized what i had been looking for the whole time after i stepped back and just became quiet and it was so simple that i just wasn't seeing it and what i realized the source there's one reason why we get frustrated and stuck with our goals. And that one simple reason proliferates out, it grows out and creates all the complexities that we experience. And that one thing is a fixation on achievement. So what I mean by that is when I say achieve, I mean to try to get something that we don't have now, to obtain, to grab a hold of something that we want to get that we don't have at this point. And what I have realized about that is that that's a problem to look at our goals that way Because when we look at it that way, it actually creates a separation from us and our goals. It creates a a separation between us and our goals and it projects it into the future. And because it's in the future, that doesn't feel good on an emotional level. And so emotions attract more emotions that are like them. So what ends up happening is because we see our goal as separate from where we are, we don't have it, it's in the future and it, it keeps staying in the future. That doesn't feel good. So then we pr- bring on practices that also don't feel good. So then that's why when a person follows a nutrition program, the first thing they think of doing is cutting out foods. What do I need to eliminate? What, how do I need to restrict myself? Mm-hmm. Do I need to limit? That doesn't feel good, okay? When we exercise, a lot, I see a lot of people at the gym, they're exercising on the treadmill, reading a magazine or watching TV because they're bored and they don't want to do it. That doesn't work. That's not effective for long-term success. So what I realized is that the goal actually isn't separate from us. We have to reverse that process and bring it back to within ourselves. So what I used to do with people is I would take them through a process. So let's say a person wanted to lose 40 pounds. I'd ask them, okay, why do you want to lose 40 pounds? Why is that important to you? Well, I want to be able to – play with my kids outside like that's just one I'll just give you this example I want to be able to play with my kids outside and feel like I can do things with them in that way okay well why is that important well if I could do that I feel like it was more connected with them you know and why is that important for you and I keep moving down the layers and here's what I found is whenever I did this with i've done this for many years with a lot of people. In every case, as we move down the layers, it always came down to an emotion. People don't want to lose weight for the sake of losing weight. And the thought of losing weight doesn't excite anyone. What excites them is the ways that their life will change with the blossoming of that goal. So people don't want to lose weight for the sake of weight loss itself. They want to lose weight because they want to feel more empowered, more fulfilled, more of a sense of joy. And what we realize when we see that, when we can really see it, we realize that it's important to take practices on a daily basis that reinforce what I call those goal emotions that joy that fulfillment that empowerment and the more that we can take practice, take action in those ways that reinforce those goals and emotions the more success we're going to be able to have long term success with our goals And I wasn't doing that with my business. My goal, my goals with my business were all about achieving something that I didn't have. So I did a lot of things that felt restricting, that felt limiting, and it was a grind. And eventually I felt like I got burned out. By the time we closed the doors, we closed the doors because we had to financially because of the economy. But to be honest with you, I was a little bit relieved. It was a struggle for a lot of years for me.
0: You'd closed your emotional doors, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, I just got burned out on it. It's it's the same thing as when a person follows a nutrition program and they decide, all right, I'm done. I I can't do this anymore. And they shouldn't do it anymore. If it feels restricting and it feels limiting, they should they need to take a different approach. And what I talk about in my book and what I talk about with people that I work with is that you can still have the same goal of like weight loss or whatever, and you can still even take the same actions. But because you're seeing it differently, you're able to take those actions in a different way and they're able to have a different effect than they normally would.
0: This is so powerful, too, because when you write, you touch on having a health goal being actually bigger than ourselves. And I think the power in this, David, is that it's such a contrast to this modern thinking where essentially, selfishness is sold to. Can you touch on why making our health goal bigger than ourselves is the most important thing and how our health goal isn't necessarily just about us?
1: Absolutely. When I look like if I go to Barnes and Noble or one of the stores and I look at like a health magazine, men's health, women's health, all different kinds of really any magazine of any kind, what we find is stuff that's focused on ourselves, lose 50 pounds in two months, you know, take the fast track to a lean, sexy body. It's all things that appeal to us having something that we want. We don't see things like find five ways to bring more abundance into the life of your loved ones. That's not a title.
0: (laughs) That's not a a sexy. You
1: know, but that's the key. It's funny because this is why I tell people, think of it this way. Our country right now is the most unhealthy it's ever been. That makes sense that we should be doing the exact opposite of what we're typically doing. And what we're typically doing is focusing on ourselves. What I found is that in my 20 years, really 16 years of my 20 was as a personal trainer. And that's 16 years, the people that I saw that had success were people that expanded their goal to be of service to include others in some way. So I'll give you a couple examples. I might have worked with, I worked with one person who felt like they were lacking in discipline and motivation for years. They just weren't strong enough to lose the weight. They joined a sports team, they joined like a basketball team or like a, um, Um, like a mud run group or something and bam all of a sudden they're losing the weight because they couldn't find the discipline for themselves but there was no way they were going to be the slow person that held the rest of the team down now that's a form of accountability that's based on generosity on, on being you know of service what that does is it makes our goal of weight loss more than just like to be able to wear a two-piece bathing suit to the beach is to be Mm -hmm. able to like really do something to help others in some way. I've had other people who had a hard time losing weight and then all of a sudden they'd see their kids start to gain weight and they're like, oh no, we're not having this. I need to be a role model. So then they'd have the incentive and the motivation because now their goal was bigger than themselves. I've worked with a number of people that became trainers themselves and I and, and I could tell like from the very beginning with these people that like I, I, I worked with this one girl, Corey, and she um, she wanted to, you know, get stronger and stuff. And she was like, I want to do this because I want to be like you. I want to help other people that are, you know, dealing with the stuff that I'm dealing with. Yeah. And she ended up having success. And that's the thing. That's why a lot of health professionals are their own first success story, because they started out. Before they even got into their career, their goal was based on generosity, on being of service to other people in some way. It wasn't just about looking good naked or you know, something along those lines. It was something more expanded than just themselves.
0: Hmm. This is really, really powerful for me. It hit me in the chest, actually, because that was my story. I mean, I was 280 and I became a trainer because I felt how amazing it felt to be healthy. And I just wanted to share that. And you had talked about something in your book. You had a client, Maria, and Maria was very overweight and she knew her mother was going to come visit in in six months or eight months or whatever it was. And this story really touched my heart, man, because it was essentially Maria's love for her mom that made her lose the weight.
1: She was a beautiful woman. She was amazing. She was, I think she was like 70 pounds overweight. And she came to me and she was an exchange student from Greece and she was, um, wanted to lose the weight because her mom was coming to visit her in like eight months, and she wanted she was going to pick her up from the airport, and she wanted her mom to see the transformation in her because her mom always wanted to see her be happy and healthy and enjoying life, so she wanted to do this for her mother, so she 'd come into a train with me, and in the beginning, it was hard you know she had she got winded really easily, we had to take a lot of breaks and stuff, but she was motivated she 'd talk about her mom you know i 'd ask her about her every day it was it was interesting because after about Two months, she she didn't lose any weight in the first couple of months, like at all, none. But what ended up happening is that as she got stronger just from the continual workout, she got to the point where she could take on more workload. She started getting more intense in her workouts just because physically she could, she had the conditioning to do it. Then the weight started to drop off, and that's why I tell people a lot of times. A lot of people are focused on a linear progression, thinking that they need to start here and get to their goal as quickly as possible. In most cases, it doesn't work that way in terms of long-term success. Most times when people lose their weight quickly, they gain it back quickly as well.
0: I know about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yo-yo dieting and yo-yo exercise and all that kind of stuff. Yo-yo in general is huge. I mean, so many people are doing it and the programs out there are actually reinforcing that, which I think is a big problem in our industry at this point. But anyway, back to Maria, she started to you know, really start to see results. Working with her on her program, it was more like she was trying to get ready for a surprise party Than it was trying to lose weight. Her goal was all about her mother. It wasn't even about, you know, obviously she wanted her for herself that she felt better, she felt more alive, more vitality. But she was so excited about her mom seeing the changes in her and it just lit her up. And she became one of the fittest people in that. I mean, that girl could have been a model at the end of that. (laughs) So
0: cool.
1: amazing. And she didn't care about any of that. It was just about her mother. You know, she Mm. just wanted her mother to be excited. And, and, when her mother did finally see her, it, she didn't recognize her at first. And then after she did, she was like, she, Maria told me she was like hysterical crying for like 15 minutes. She couldn't stop
0: crying. Oh my God. That must've been so cool. How rewarding was that as a fitness um, professional to see that go down?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the funny thing is like, I haven't seen Maria for years, but I have absolutely no doubt she is in absolutely excellent shape at this point,
0: man. Well, let's transition here, David shift gears. You mentioned the six practices of a healthy and fulfilling life. This is a guide that people can get in your book. Let's touch on these really quickly. Generosity is the first one. It helps us let go of the past, release obstructions and makes our goals more powerful by the greater purpose we had discussed And also bringing greater abundance into our lives. How does does being generous bring abundance into our lives when in the moment we're not feeling like being generous? I mean, how do we transition through that?
1: You know, this is just a matter of seeing that clearly what's really holding us back. Generosity is actually the practice that counterbalances obesity. So think of it this way, obesity, you know, and when I say obesity, I don't mean like the clinical definition, you know, I just mean, usually when we think of obesity, we think of being physically overweight, the physical being overweight is just the surface manifestation of a deeper pattern that's going on, really what the pattern is, it's a pattern of holding on to more than what we need. So in our physical body, that shows as being physically overweight. With our relationships, it'll show as like we're holding on to baggage from the past, resentments, guilt, anger, like all different kinds of emotions that stop, stop us from feeling connected with other people. Just like holding on to more excess weight on our physical body helps, stops us from feeling connected with our body. And then with our livelihood, it's more of a sense of purpose. When we When we're holding on to all these things that we don't need, we have a hard time seeing our purpose. And when we think about purpose, you know, I talk with a lot of people that are confused on their purpose. What am I here to do? How, you know, all those kinds of things. When we think about what purpose is, purpose is really a, a question of how can I practice generosity in a big way? How can I be a value of service to the world in a way that's going to have an impact? That's what people are typically thinking of when they're thinking of their purpose. And it works the exact same thing. way as like with weight loss or with relationships and that people are holding on to the past and it stops them from having the type of present and future that they really want. So with generosity, what we're doing is we're letting go, and this isn't just about gift giving, getting rid of excess weight is a form of generosity. We're actually giving nutrients back to the environment that are healthy for them. We don't think of it that way, every time we exhale, we're giving carbon dioxide back to the trees. That's a gift that we're giving to the trees. And then when we inhale, we're receiving a gift from them of oxygen. So I talk about generosity not so much in the typical way of like giving a gift. I talk about it as a force of nature. Generosity is all around us all the time. And it's the practice that when – now we talked about how expanding our goal to be of service to others, how that's important. That's the main way of practicing generosity to help with goals like weight loss or strength gain or whatever it is. Another way of doing, another big thing that I do in terms of helping people with generosity is focusing on empowering questions. Our minds work on questions and if our listeners listen to this and they're not sure about it, what they're going to do is they're going to in their mind. It'll be very quickly but they'll ask themselves, do I I agree with that? Do I agree that the mind works in questions? And then you're going to go through your catalog of experiences and determine whether you agree with that or disagree with it. So the mind is always asking questions, and the quality of the questions it asks determines where we're focused and how we live our life. Now, most people, what happens is when they when people get frustrated and stuck, they're asking a lot of why questions. Why is this happening to me? Why don't Why don't I have enough time to do what I want to do? Why don't I have the discipline? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? There's a lot of why questions, and when we ask why, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sense, of the past so if I ask why don't I have enough discipline the reason we're asking that is because we haven't had the discipline in the past we haven't experienced that so we ask ourselves why we don't have it we're trying to make sense of it that keeps our focus in the past and keeps us living the past so we keep having those challenges whenever we ask those types of why questions other than questions like why is this important to me that's getting focused on the present so when we ask these, these questions that are keeping us focused on the past in order to shift that, we start, we need to start asking other questions like, what can I be grateful for? If I were to, to change my body in a way that would be joyful, what would that look like? If I were to change my relationships in ways that would be joyful, what would that look like? Now, when I start asking those kinds of questions, they're harder to answer because mm-hmm. they're not our normal train of thought when we're frustrated. But what they do is that's actually a practice of generosity, because what it does is the more we ask these types of questions that are empowering, the more it helps us to let go of the past. We're able to generously give it away.
0: So powerful, man, because abundance is really the law of reciprocity. The more you give, the more you receive. And it's a perfect segue to integrity being number two in your practices, because integrity helps us to not create these new obstructions, to not block ourselves. And the lessons of the intensity that you write about are the vicious cycles, this seesaw effect of aggression and isolation. Can you talk a little bit about this seesaw and maybe unpack that a little bit? It's such a huge and beautiful metaphor that you wrote about in your book.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Aggression and avoidance. So the second practice, integrity, is the complementary balancing practice of the first one of generosity. So whereas generosity is about a a separation or parting ways, a letting go of what's no longer needed. Integrity is about a unification or a connecting with what is needed. And with integrity, the way that I talk about integrity, the way I look at integrity is the same way that I look at like a bridge being constructed. A bridge needs two things. It needs strong, sturdy materials But it also needs to have those materials configured in a way like the right types of angles and when you look at like engineering, they get those angles down exactly precisely the way that they need to be because they know that they can have the strongest materials in the world but if they're configured in the wrong ways, the bridge can collapse. And in the same sense, if we have weak materials but we have a strong configuration, the bridge can also collapse. So we need to have strong materials and a strong configuration in order for the bridge to be able to to weather storms and cars driving over it without it collapsing. So with us, with us on, on an individual level, I look at that in terms of our thoughts and our feelings. Our thoughts and our feelings are the materials and the configuration of our integrity. What I find is that integrity is important because what that means is that we're being honest and compassionate in all areas of our life because honesty is inner fortitude of thought, word, and action and compassion is inner fortitude of feeling and when we have one or the other when we're lopsided in one direction or the other we're going to create imbalance so if if we're more focused on our feelings and neglecting our thoughts, words, and actions that's what I call aggression. Okay, so if we think about like if I were to get angry with you and I start yelling and screaming, what's happening is I'm not even thinking about the thoughts, words and actions that I'm taking. I'm so wrapped up in my feelings. My feelings are running the show and it's just spewing out on
0: (laughs) you. I've been there.
1: And and that's we've all been. Every one of us, every human being has been there. And that's that's a big part of what I talk about. My my purpose in, in here is is to talk about how we're all connected. We're all dealing with the same exact issues. We all deal with obesity. It doesn't matter if we're physically overweight or not. A person could be physically overweight in their body. They could be emotionally overweight in their relationships, creating a divide in their in, in, in intimacy in their relationships. They could be you know, holding on to obesity in their livelihood where they don't feel a sense of purpose in their home life or in their career or something like that. We don't think of it that way, but they're all forms of obesity. and We all deal with them in some way. another we just deal with them in our own unique ways Mm -hmm. so back to integrity when we when we are if i get angry with you and i'm lashing out then you know my feelings are running the show and i'm not i'm not as focused on my thoughts words and actions they're just flying out now on the other end of the spectrum so let's say that i do that and then later i feel bad because now i come down i have let this all out i've let it's like i've done this forceful exhalation i'm empty now so now it's like, oh, I realized what I did all. Oh, I, I probably really overreacted. I went way out of line. Now I feel guilty. And so now what happens is when you do things that irritate me, I feel like I want to say something, but I don't because I felt guilty from the past. So I hold it in and I hold it in and I hold it in. And I keep doing that until I can't hold it in anymore. And then it spews out again. So I, the, the avoidance and aggression are a seesaw. We go back and forth between them all the time, and we and you know the example I just gave is simple because you know it's just a, a, an example of me and you. But really, in life, it in you know I might become aggressive with you because of a whole bunch of things that have been happening in different areas of my life, and you just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, or you might just say the wrong thing at the wrong time where my mm-hmm. aggressiveness is ready to unleash. You know, so we can see that with relationships, but what, what about like with our physical health? So let's say uh, we have, this is a very common example. We have a woman named Jane. She wants to lose weight and she stands in front of the mirror in the morning and she looks at herself and says, oh, I'm so fat. I look so, so gross, you know, and that doesn't feel good. Okay. So that's a form of avoidance. She's saying something that doesn't feel good, but she keeps doing it every morning. And this is, I know this from my own experience. This is very, very common for people that feel frustrated and stuck to give themselves negative reinforcement. And once again, we've all done it to some extent or another. We mm. keep doing it over and over. Why is that happening? Because we're in a pattern of avoidance. We're not focused on the feelings. We're focused on the thoughts, words, and actions because that's our comfort zone. Even though it doesn't feel good, it's still what we're used to. It's what we're familiar with. If that person was moving more toward integrity, they'd say, you know what, these messages I'm giving myself, they don't feel good and they don't do anything good for me. So I'm going to start focusing on being more loving with myself and giving myself more positive messages so I can feel better and maybe start to make a, a, a difference in a more inspired way. Now that's, that would be moving toward integrity, but that's a hard thing to do because we're so ingrained in our pattern of negative reinforcement when we're in that place. So what what ends up happening with Jane is she says that to herself in the mirror. It doesn't feel good. She starts driving to work. She sees someone on the road that's skinny and says, oh, I could never look like that. That doesn't feel good. She gets to work. She talks with her coworker about how she can't follow a diet because she has no self-discipline. That doesn't feel good. She goes to the bathroom. She looks in the mirror and does the same thing she did in the morning. That doesn't feel good. So she keeps doing these things that are a pattern of avoidance. And then what ends up happening, she gets home. She opens up her refrigerator, her freezer door, and sees a pint of ice cream. So now, here's the interesting thing. What happens now is we swing in the other direction. Now her mind is telling her, oh, I shouldn't do that because I I want to lose weight. But now her feelings take control. So now we're seesawing in the other direction. And we don't think of it this way, but eating ice cream in that sense is a pattern of aggressiveness, just like me yelling at you and then feeling guilty later. That's why we'll eat ice cream like that and then feel guilty later. It's the exact same thing. We're just doing it in a different area of our life. So a lot of times what I've found is when people have issues with like food cravings and um, lack of discipline with a nutrition program or an exercise program, in most cases, it's not a lack of discipline or a lack of motivation. It's issues with integrity. And it's not that people are meaning to be out of integrity. They just don't realize that those things that we do in relationships also apply to how we do things within our body.
0: I got to pause you just for a second because I want the audience to really take that in. For so many years, I personally struggled with avoidance and aggression because you're right. When we're not happy about something and we're masking the way we feel with unhealthy foods or ice cream, this is a definite active aggression. And it's interesting man, after I read your book, I was talking to a friend about this, and we both realized we had this moment of aha from your book where we thought, what if people could just develop more emotional presence? Would that help with this seesaw of avoidance and aggression? What do you think about that?
1: Absolutely, for sure. There's something to take into account with that. We definitely want to work on the emotional, like getting into our feelings and seeing how we feel with what we're doing, but it's going to take a big shift for a lot of us, for example. A lot of people will go to a health professional, and I've experienced this myself, people coming to me, and I've told people when they come to me, don't ever take what I'm telling you as the authority. Don't ever take what I'm telling you as. As being the truth, you need to find the truth for yourself within yourself. What I'm giving you are guidelines, are recommendations, and the best way to use them is as a way of like self-exploratory, like self-discovery. Use them and see how they work for you, and then we'll we'll assess how they how you feel with them, and then we'll fine-tune from there. Don't just take my this diet and say, okay, well, I should follow this diet because this professional told me I should do it. That's a lack of integrity. What that is is I'm in my mind saying, okay, this person knows more than me. So I'm just going to follow it. And if I don't feel good, I, I, I can't tell you how many people have tried diets that don't feel good to them. that feel restricting and limiting and they just don't feel good. But because they were told by some expert that they should do it, They do it out of obligation, out of a sense of that that's the right thing to do Mm -hmm. and it's not. I worked with a woman a few years ago who was overweight and she had gone to the doctors and she had high cholesterol. Her cholesterol was somewhere around 300 and she came to me and I did uh, a metabolic nutrition test on her. So I I tested her metabolism and found out based on her biochemistry, she should be eating high fats and proteins and low carbs. And when I told her that when I showed her the test results, it scared her half to death because she was like, "Oh my God, like what what you know i can't i can't do that." so I got a little deeper into it, and when I found out this is really interesting when she was younger when she was a kid, she was very skinny and very had a lot of energy and was very active and stuff and when and I asked her like, "Well, did you eat differently back then?" and she said, "Well yeah, I actually I ate a lot of fats and stuff like that." I said, well, what happened? And she said, well, I learned eventually that fats aren't good for you, that they cause heart disease and high cholesterol and all that kind of stuff. And so I stopped eating fats. And at that point, she started gaining weight. And so now many years and many pounds later, she's way overweight, doesn't feel good, low energy, high cholesterol now. And she's, and she's coming to me and I'm telling her she should go back to eating high fats, which she had so Basically, what she had done was a lack of integrity. She had listened to what others were saying was accurate, that fats weren't good for her, and she wasn't listening to her own body. So she was more – it was a pattern of avoidance. She was listening to the thoughts, words, and actions of others and not listening to the feelings, the messages her body was giving her. And so what ended up happening is I – it took a while, but I was able to get her to start doing it, to like start eating high fats and you know, going lower. And she loved it. She loved how it tasted. She still felt bad. Like it was still really scary for her. But the next time she went to the doctors, her cholesterol had dropped by 80 points.
0: And it's interesting because she was working with you. She was going out on a little bit of a scary limb. A lot of people, when they go to a new limb of growth or whatever it might be, there's a fear there. And only so many days can be felt in fear before there's some type of growth that happens. But in this process, there's patience. And number three on your practices is the art of patience. And it's helping us to not take current situations and blow them out of proportion. Essentially, having patience, you write, makes our mountains into molehills. It brings more growth, more transformation. Why is this patience portion so important for the fulfillment and the healthy lifestyle?
1: Patience, I think of it as sort of like damage control for integrity. So what I mean by that is, With integrity, we're looking to be honest and compassionate, not just with other people, but with ourselves, because the more we can be loving in that way and in integrity with ourselves, the more we're going to have success, long term success with our goals, regardless of what kinds of goals we have. However, sometimes we're triggered so intensely, usually by other people, or or not always, though. There's other forms where we, like when we weigh ourselves, calorie counting, I'll get into those in a second. But there's ways where we trigger ourselves so intensely that it's hard to reflect and see how we're connected with it to practice integrity in the ways I talk about in the book. So what we need to do in that point is we need to sort of, a lot of people think of it as taking a time out where we just distance ourselves for a moment and become silent and sort of center ourselves and feel into the physical feelings in the body that come with that trigger and relax into them now this is not easy to do it's it's it it takes discipline you know most people think that they need discipline to like follow a nutrition program or an exercise program or anything really the discipline That people need is to do practices that are effective, that are simple, but that are contrary, that are different from what they're used to doing. And this is a practice that when we do it, it can completely transform our life. And the example I give in the book, I I dealt with my wife. My wife and I have been together for a little over six years now. But the first year, and we have an amazing relationship. We love each other. We have intimacy. We connect every day. It's almost like we're in a honeymoon now in certain ways. We have our you know things that we deal with, but we have a great relationship it wasn't like that in the beginning. We're sort of the reverse of most people. Most people have like a honeymoon period in the beginning and then they start having resentments build up and stuff. And then over time there might be less connection and stuff and all that. For us, it was the opposite. In the beginning, it was like a battle zone, the whole first year of our relationship. Hmm. And, and we did a lot of work on ourselves and realized that we need to like focus on ourselves and, take responsibility for our own emotional states and and see that we're the ones that are causing that within ourselves. And the more we were able to do that, the more we were able to start connecting with each other in a really more sincere and intimate way. But what I dealt with in that first year, a lot of was jealousy and possessiveness. And I dealt with that my whole life. Pretty much any girl when I was younger or woman I dated when I was older I had some form of jealousy where I was concerned about them cheating on me or flirting with someone else. I'd If they'd go out somewhere to a party where I wasn't at, I'd have imagined scenarios going on in my head that would, you know, bring a nodding in my stomach, a pressure in my chest, a pressure in my head, like something along those lines. And what, it, what ended up happening is, by the time I was with Kara, my wife, I realized that there was something different about her, and I can't keep, you know, doing this, like getting into this state of jealousy, because all it was doing, what I realized, was all it was doing was breaking down my relationships. It was creating a gap where there was no intimacy and, and less connection than what I really wanted. What I really wanted was intimacy intimacy and connection with my partner and jealousy was not going to get me that it would get me short-term comfort when I knew everything was fine but it didn't it didn't do anything in terms of long-term joy and fulfillment in my relationship so what I ended up doing is what I used to do is like if if she wanted to go to a party or something I'd make sure I was going with her so I wouldn't have any concerns but I didn't really want to go You know, you know what I mean? (laughs) So I was doing things because I felt like I had to do it for the security of the relationship as opposed to because I really wanted to do it. So what I did is when I realized I needed to change this, I, and this was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life was I purposely didn't go to certain things. Like I didn't go to parties or I didn't do certain things that I would have done before out of security. And I had a lot of feelings come up. And what I did is I just laid down. I remember doing this like it was yesterday, Lay down on my bed. And I felt the feelings. I didn't try to analyze them or figure out why they're there. I didn't try to do any mental things with them at all. All I did was I got there and I had these imagined scenarios and I'd feel into my body and I would just relax and feel that feeling. And what ended up happening is that the feeling would maybe start to to become less intense, it would dissipate within maybe a minute and a half to two minutes. But here's the key thing. I did it every time. there, Every time an imagined scenario popped up into my head and a feeling would come up, I would go and I would do this over and over and over again. And After a few months of doing that, what I realized was that jealousy was no longer this monkey on my back that I had no control over. By feeling into my body, it slowed my mind down. It actually made the imagined scenarios less quick. And less often. So it wasn't as frequent and it wasn't as quick happening in my head because, you know, things can happen very quickly and we get absorbed in it and wrapped up and we off we go into this imagined, you know, nightmare that doesn't feel good and it doesn't do anything good for us. So by feeling into the body, it helped me to to become centered and what ended up happening is after months of doing this, I started to get a clarity that that I wasn't looking for. But I realized that the reason I was having these jealousy issues wasn't really because of the people I was with. It was because of feelings of being unwhole or incomplete within myself. But the only reason I was able to realize it is because I was starting to feel more complete myself. So I was I was actually doing the practice that helped me to feel more whole. And by doing that, I got clarity on how I wasn't feeling whole before how I wasn't feeling complete before and now at this point I don't remember the last time I had a jealous thought I don't know that I'm completely free of it it's probably been a couple years since I've had something like that but who knows maybe some challenge the goal of this isn't to be perfect it's not to like get rid of something for the rest of my life my goal is just to be happier and happier more and more fulfilled over time and to help other people to do the same thing
0: It's such a dynamic story because you went from literally being afraid that you're going to be cheated on to being able to feel your emotions and realize that they were all just BS. And it was this kind of fear-based story, you know, false evidence appearing real. And what comes up for me when I hear you talk about this is this patience angle can be applied to losing weight. It can be applied to growing trust in a relationship. It can be applied to growing muscle. I mean, business, patience is like this dynamic building block that brings this growth and transformation. But patience, we can't do it alone. There has to be action. And that's number four, inspired action. And you write that inspired action helps us to cultivate more of what we really want in our lives rather than trying to move away from what we don't want brings more joy and fulfillment into our lives. So what in your life have you done to really take inspired action? And for people that might not feel motivated to do that, how do they begin to generate this momentum in taking inspired action?
1: What you just said was really important. And I wanna s- clarify something. You know, I just talked about like my issues with jealousy and possessiveness and relationship and how they, you were saying that they also deal with the, like weight loss. One of the big ways that I see that the practice of patience is important in terms of health goals in terms of the physical body is with like weighing ourselves and counting calories and stuff like that when we're doing those things basically the reason that patience is important is because uncertainty in our life is inevitable we're always going to be experiencing change and uncertainty in some way and the reason that we we try to grasp for control in different ways like Weighing ourselves, we, we weigh ourselves on a regular basis a lot. And, uh, when I had my fitness center, if you came in to, to see me one day, I would have opened the closet and I would have shown you like nine scales in the <laughs> closet. And the reason why is because I had certain clients who couldn't weigh themselves because what ended up happening is that they trigger themselves and they'd actually sabotage their progress through the very act of measuring it. So it's not that measuring, it's not that weighing themselves was the problem. It's that their emotional attachment to what the scale said was the issue. It's really an issue of integrity because I had one client, for example, who um, she woke up one morning and she felt better than she ever had in her life. She couldn't remember last time she felt that good. And so she figured, oh, I, I must be making progress. So she ran to the bathroom and she got on the scale and weighed herself and she had gained a pound. And she immediately – that that feeling of joy and excitement immediately went to frustration and anger. And she sabotaged – she gained back all the weight and more that she had lost just because of that feeling. Now, she didn't realize that muscle weighs more than fat. So a lot of times when you're losing weight, you can actually be getting smaller and gaining weight oh, because yeah. you're gaining – you know this because you're a health professional. But a lot of the customers, you know, customers that we have worked with don't know that. So <clears> – <throat> She made an assumption, and this was a lack of integrity, because she was giving more value to the numbers that were coming up on the scale than to the feelings that were coming up within her own body. And it was so powerful that it caused her to sabotage. She basically, she took a molehill and she made a mountain of it. So what I recommend to people is if they're going to weigh themselves, for example, to make sure that they're noticing the physical trigger that comes up and becoming still with it. And for some people, I, I, they're not ready to even practice it to that extent. For some people, I, I'm actually creating a program right now that's based on my book. And in the program, I'm going to have a daily planner that people use. And the way that they're going to measure their progress is through an inspiration scale and a mindfulness scale. So they're actually going to be looking at how inspired. They're not going to be just taking action. They're going to actually be measuring how inspired they were While taking action. Of course, I give ways of drawing up, bringing about this inspired action, you know, we're about to talk about now because it's the fourth practice by doing that, by focusing on being inspired, then we're getting our goal emotions into our everyday life. So we're, we're reconnecting with our goal, bringing it back into the present as opposed to in the future. We're cultivating it now, as opposed to trying to achieve it in the future. And this always leads to greater success over time.
0: I'll make sure to link that to what you're working on at the show notes page. So you guys, if you want to just click the iPhone right now, it'll pop up and it's wellnessforce.com slash heart. And I'll link David's, uh, what did you call it? It was a mindfulness scale.
1: I'm going to have an inspiration scale and a mindfulness scale in the planner that I'm developing for the program. I'm I'm actually going to be filming the program in in the beginning of January. So it's coming up here very soon and we'll be, uh, probably have it available in February or March.
0: And so with the inspired action and and I'm glad you backtracked because those were some very, very important points you made up, especially when you open the closet and you realize, Hey, there's nine scales in here. That's, that's very true in regarding to cultivating patience, but with inspired action, how do we be inspired if we don't feel like being inspired to take action? How does that occur?
1: Well, the way that we do that is through practicing. Pa- so in the same way that generosity and integrity are complementary practices to each other, patience and inspired action are also complementary practices. Patience is about movement into stillness and relaxing with our, in the stillness of our uncertainty and, and becoming centered and relaxed in the midst of that uncertainty. Inspired action is stillness into movement. So a lot of times people are taking action, but they're working and working and working. They're sort of like on a rat race and they're going and going and going. They're never taking the time to become still and really focus on what are my priorities? Why am I even taking action to begin with? A lot of times people get burned out by doing that. So inspired action is the opposite of of patience in the sense that we're becoming still first and really feeling into why we're doing it. And then we move outward and take inspired action from that place of stillness. So, one of the things that I used to do on a daily basis is I focus on my death. I know that sounds weird and it sounds a little bit
0: morbid. Nope, that's okay. They, the audience knows about this concept.
1: Yeah, it's not yeah. at all. And, and here's the thing you know, we see people that are dying, and some people like the whole resentments and grudges with people for years or even decades. And then when they're like on their deathbed, they're calling these people up and wanting to make amends. Now, why does that happen? If we really think about why that happens, if we really like sort of put ourselves in that position, we, we realize there's no longer a future, okay? There isn't a future anymore. So we're in this moment right now. And w- what happens is that we realize the illusion of the future that, you know, one of my favorite sayings in a movie is when Apollo, you know, I'm from Philadelphia, so I love like the Rocky movies. And in, uh, I think it was Rocky Three, Apollo Creed says to Rocky, there is no tomorrow. And he was right. That's, that is absolutely true. There is no, ex- there's nothing that exists tomorrow. When tomorrow's here, it'll be today. It'll be right now. Hmm. There's only this moment. You can have a concept of tomorrow, but you're going to experience it now absolutely. when it comes to you. And, you know, I've had like sort of death experiences through meditation, not, not an actual, obviously death experience, but you get to that point where you, where you see, the illusion of how the past and the future are plays in your mind. But what's really going on is what's here and now at this moment. And when we see that, it, it helps us to become more discerning of what's really important to us And then from that place, I was able to take action on a daily basis. That's one of the reasons I was able to write the book as quickly and in as much of an inspired way as I did was because I focused on this is the last moment of my life, the last day of my life. What do I want to do today? If I'm leaving tonight, what do I want to do? What do I want to leave behind to help others so that, you know? I can help this world to be a better place than when I came into it, you know, so I was very motivated by doing that. Now, the interesting thing is, that's what I did a lot before. Now that I have a daughter, instead of thinking about my own death, I think about her life. It's equally discerning and just as much clarity. To me, death and life are like two sides of a coin. They're the same thing. It's just when one door opens, another one closes and one, one door closes, another one opens. So what I do every day is I write down, I, I, I read my goal. I actually have my goal written down that I'm working on right now. And I read 10 different ways my life will change. And I feel into each of those things. I don't just read them routinely. I f- read them and really feel into them. And then I go into taking inspired action from that place. And I consistently take time throughout the day to do that. So here's an example of what I mean. A lot of people don't think to like become still and become charged again before taking action and doing that various times throughout the day. But one area where we do that where everyone sees the importance of it is in sports. If if we have like a basketball team, okay, and they're a college team and they're about to go into the championships, what's going to happen a few days before the championship? They're going to have a pep rally where they get everyone excited and emotional and charged up. And then on the day of the game, right before the game starts, they're going to have a a pre-game show where they'll turn off the lights and there'll be lights flashing all over and someone on the microphones yelling out to the crowd and everyone's cheering, everyone's getting emotionally charged up. And then the team goes out and takes action from there. Now, during the game, what happens when, you know, they're not inspired anymore, they're not in sync, they're not coordinated, they're not working well together the way they normally would, they're starting to go downhill. That's right. The coach calls a timeout, Mm -hmm. and he does that to get them recharged again, and then go back out. Because he realizes that if they keep if they keep taking action in that uninspired place, they're going to get they're going to get destroyed. They're the other team is going to run up the score and destroy them. You know, beat them. They're going to lose. We see that with sports but we don't see that with our own life. So like when we're following a nutrition program and we feel restricted and we feel unfulfilled and we feel like, oh, this is a disaster. I don't hate doing it but I have to do it to lose weight. That's like playing on a basketball court and not doing well and not calling a timeout. We're not going to get the results that we're looking for. We're not going to win in our own life in the same way that the other team is not going to win by not taking the time out. When we follow when we're exercising, we're on the treadmill and we're like doing anything we can to pass the time because we can't stand doing it. It's the same exact thing. We don't think of it that in that way because we don't see it as a concrete loss, but months later it's just because of a, a lag in time. If we could see how quickly we weren't going to get our goals. We wouldn't take action in that way. But because it's months down the line, we don't make the connection. And so we don't see the importance of it. So a big thing to do is... It, we're actually practicing patience on the on the other end. So with the practice of patience before we were talking about like with our challenges like jealousy or with weight loss or whatever, like when a negative feeling comes up, mm-hmm. making a molehill out of a mountain, making sure it doesn't blow up and become out of proportion. With inspired action, we're actually practicing patience with the high point. So we're like if we take a timeout, we're reading our goal or like how the coach calls a timeout to get them inspired again. We're actually – practicing patience there because we're becoming still and we're becoming charged in that stillness. So we, we intentionally insert something like reading our goal, thinking about our death, thinking about a life, thinking about someone that we love and that we're going to you know, do something for them and help them in some way. When we do something like that, that brings up a charge and then we move back into action, our actions will be more effective.
0: And this is powerful because you talk about if you're not inspired... It's very difficult to take inspired action, but mindfulness is so important and it's number five on the list. Now, mindfulness outside of your definition, the way that I've heard mindfulness described and, you know, we'll we'll get to yours as well. But mindfulness means essentially maintaining this kind of moment by moment awareness of our thoughts, how our body feels. And just noticing what we're feeling in the moment, not doing anything, not changing anything, not reacting to it. And I feel like this is where we actually get the fuel to take inspired action. Now, you define your interpretation as mindfulness helps us to free ourselves from attachments that keep us feeling stuck. It's this inner essence, this common thread of all the previous practices. And it allows us to experience true freedom. Why is this mindfulness component? Why did you time it right after the inspired action? I'm curious if those two play off of each other.
1: Like you were saying, mindfulness is really, mindfulness plays off of all of them. It really does. Like mindfulness isn't any more a part of inspired action than it is of patience, integrity, or generosity. Mindfulness is the practice that helps to. To, we're only able to use those practices that we just discussed to the extent that we're being mindful with them. So, for example, like with generosity, um, let's say I give you a gift. OK, it's your birthday and I come over and I say, Josh, you know, happy birthday. You're such a great guy. I'm so glad to know you. It's an honor. Here's your gift. Right. That's going to feel pretty good. Right. Regardless of what the gift is, you, you feel good about that presentation. However, let's say I come in a different scenario. I come in. Same gift. I, I'm on my phone. I'm talking with someone, hey John, yeah, I'm doing good. Oh, hey Josh, here here's your gift. Happy birthday. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I can still talk. Here you go. So I'm I'm on the phone the whole time. Now I just gave you the exact same gift, but it feels completely different now, right? It's the same thing with, for example, with health. Okay. So let's say we're eating a meal, a nutritious meal. Well, I could eat the meal mindfully where I'm really feeling into it and tasting it and being aware of how my body does with it because my body is sending me messages all the time. And it's up to me to be able to, to be mindful enough to, to hear those messages, to receive them and to be able to do something with it in an inspired way. However, if I'm eating that meal, that same meal, but I'm like, eating it in a very hurried way and I'm on the phone or I'm watching a show or I'm texting or checking my email, if I'm doing all these other things that distract me from the moment, my body is going to receive the gift in a similar way to you receiving my gift while I'm on the phone the whole time. It's no different. So you could eat a nutritious meal and it could be unbeneficial for you if you eat it in an improper, you know, you could eat a healthy meal in such a quick way that it gives you heartburn, even though it's, Considered to be healthy for you. I'd rather see a person eat something that's what they're eating now as opposed to trying to eat the most unhealthy thing they could do. The first thing I tell people when they're following nutrition and in anything is be mindful with it first. That's the first thing is start to build a relationship with your food. That increases the integrity. So generosity isn't just about giving a gift. It's about how we give it that gives the, the impact, the power of it as well. With integrity – You know, integrity is about being mindful of our thoughts and our feelings. If we're not mindful of our feelings, we're in avoidance. If we're not mindful of our thoughts, words, and actions, we're in aggressiveness. It takes mindfulness in both of those areas in order to be in integrity. Patience is pretty much mindfulness. It's just that patience has to do with being still and feeling into the body And the uncertainty that arises and mindfulness is about being present, regardless of whether there is uncertainty
0: or not. And that's a muscle. That's definitely a muscle that we build over time. Meditation, mindfulness. This is actually a strengthening of the synaptic endings in our brain.
1: For sure. Absolutely. Patience is basically mindfulness for the challenging times. Is, is the way that I look at it. Um, and then inspired action, same thing. I could read my, I could wake up in the morning and read my goal and read 10 ways that my life will change from it. But if I'm reading those things and I'm thinking about taking a shower or what I'm going to eat or all that, I'm, my mind's on other things, that isn't going to have the same impact in terms of being inspired that it otherwise could. And the more we can be mindful in our everyday life the more inspiration we get in the other areas. So like for example, my my whole message with people like for example, weight loss or whatever their health goal is, is about reconnecting with the goal and bringing it from the future back to the present. Well, a lot of what we do in our everyday life doesn't have to do with like losing weight. Like we don't think of cleaning the dishes or taking out the trash as helping us to lose weight. They actually can in a certain way. I'm not going to get into that right now. But the more that we can be present with those kinds of things, the more we get into the pattern of being in this moment, the more when we are taking actions that are directed toward our goals, the more those things will also be able to be in the present moment. Because now we're in a pattern. If I'm in the habit of being present over and over and over again. I'll keep doing that over and over and over again. It'll, it'll be easier and easier to do that. So if I'm doing it with dishes, with cleaning, with going to the bathroom, with eating, with all these little mundane things that don't seem like they're important, it'll be easier to take action in a present way with presence. When I'm like looking to lose weight, like nutrition or exercise or whatever, my goal things, my goal activities have, happen to be.
0: Oh, it's it's powerful too, because when I look at the last point, we're getting to the end of the show, but the last one, and I feel like the most important is commitment. And this is the last principle you speak of it as being this outer container that gives shape and direction to the previous practices. But talk about this sticking power. I mean, for commitment, how do we actually integrate commitment into this process?
1: So commitment, really what I mean by commitment is whereas mindfulness is about giving attention to this moment. Commitment is about setting an intention. So, And, and just like generosity, integrity are complementary practices, patience and inspired action are complementary. Mindfulness and commitment are also complementary. Mindfulness is the inner essence of the practices, and commitment is the outer shape or container that directs the flow of those practices. Here's the thing. When we have a goal, like let's say we want to lose weight, the reason we don't see it's immediate fulfillment is because we have conflicting intentions. I want to lose weight, but I want to eat this. I want to lose weight, but I want to be sedentary. It's not that we want to do those things, but those are our habit patterns now. They're conflicting intentions. It takes time to see where we're out of alignment with our intention and to move into alignment. That takes time to do that. And Even when we do realize where we're out of alignment, it takes time to form a new habit pattern. It takes at least usually like 21 days or more to get into a new habit pattern from one that's already been ingrained in us that we're not looking to subscribe to anymore. Mm -hmm. So commitment is the practice that helps us to use the practices long enough to have a noticeable impact in our life. If we don't have a sense of commitment, then we won't follow those practices long enough for them to have a significant impact in
0: our life. Commitment is something that I've seen people veer away from because it's scary. I mean, when I was working with clients, one thing they would say is, you know, I want to do this so bad. But then when it would come to, you know, a month later, things would be different. And I'm curious if there's just a handful of practices that you could give people that they might be able to do to to begin that cultivation of commitment.
1: One of the things that I I feel is the most important is to get clarity on what we want. A lot of times when I talk with someone, like let's say I'm talking with someone that wants to lose weight and and I'm, I'm sorry if I keep using weight loss examples. One of the reasons for that is because that's my main audience is people that are looking to lose weight as a trainer for 16 years Probably like, I don't know, 97, 98% of people that came to see me want to lose weight. So that's most of my stories, most of my experience. Sure. But here's the thing when I would talk, most people, when they come to me and they're frustrated and stuck and they want to lose weight, if I ask them why they want to lose weight, like what will that do for them? Most of them are focused on moving away from what they don't want as opposed to moving what they do want. So if I ask someone, why do you want to lose weight? They might say, oh, I'm tired of being gross. I don't want to feel this way. I, I, I don't want to be in an airplane and not be able to pull on a seatbelt. Like, they're talking about all the things that they don't want anymore. But what they're not talking about, so they're very clear on what they are trying to get away from. But that's not the same as being clear on what they want to have in their life, what they want to cultivate on a regular basis and feel differently in their life now. Well, we, it's, it's very different saying I want to lose fat I won't lose weight because I don't want to be fat anymore and I won't lose weight because I want to be slender and skinny and full of energy. They seem like they're the same thing but they're the complete opposite. Focus. One is focused on not being fat which means we're focused on fat and the other one is focused on being slender which means we're focused on slender and wherever we're focused, it doesn't matter whether you're negating it or not saying I don't want to be fat, you're still focused on that, you know, the obesity aspect and it'll keep us Because our attention's on it, it'll keep us repeating the past and prolonging our obesity, regardless of what area of our life we're experiencing it in
0: Man, you've said so many different things on the show today that I feel like we could have like a tweet session. There could be like 20 different tweets with your name attached to it. And we're at the end of the show. This is the last part of the show. It's called Seven for Seven. It's seven power questions for seven top of mind answers. So it's whatever comes up for you. And the first question I want to ask is, what is the best book you've read this year?
1: Probably. And I've read this book a number of times in my life, but I love the book Sid Arthur by Herman Hess.
0: If there was just one thing you could change about the wellness industry, what would it be and why?
1: I would focus on there being less competition and more connection. Um, I feel like a lot of times people are focused on developing their unique selling propositions, seeing how they stand apart from everyone else and how their services are so much better. What I'd like to see is people working together and... working off of each other's strengths, instead of seeing everyone as an adversary. And I understand why it's there. You know, people feel a scarcity with money and finances and stuff like that. And they want to get ahead and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like if everyone were to work together more on the areas where they're strong, there would actually be more success. Because if if we actually made an impact in helping people to really lose weight and feel better, like for long-term success, that would happen through everyone connecting and, and joining together and having collaborations and connection in that way. There's a poster I've seen before, and I love this poster. It's a bunch of different people from all over the world, third world countries, first world countries, different ethnicities, different religions, different races, and they're all smiling. And they're they're all different in their different ways, but the essence of their smile is all the same. If we can focus on the essence of the smile, we can make this world a better place, not just in terms of the world, but in terms of our health, but in all areas of life. So that that's something I would like to see happening in the industry is I think if we focus more on connecting, there wouldn't be a lot of the issues with like trying to get people to their goal as quickly as we possibly can and trying to get people excited. There'd be more of a focus on what's really important as opposed to just trying to fit into what people feel like they want and sell them because you know that they'll buy it because it's tailoring to what they want, even if it's not really going to help them.
0: If you could go to either China or Jamaica, where would you go? Why would you go? And who would you take?
1: I would take my wife and my daughter. With my family in mind, I would go to Jamaica because it's um, nice weather and it would be a relaxing experience. I would love to go to China. Um, just because I'm very into meditation, I I love Chinese medicine and and Taoism and Zen and like a lot of that kind of stuff. I love to, to read about that. And I I study, uh, I actually meditate at a Zen center regularly. I have a Zen teacher. Um, so there's a lot of that, but if I'm thinking about my family who I would definitely want to bring with me, I'd probably go to Jamaica.
0: What is your favorite way to practice self-love? Meditation. If there was just one day you woke up this week, let's say it was this coming Friday and you realized, oh, my God, the entire Internet has been deleted and it's been taken over by hackers, all your books, your articles, your website, everything you've ever done as far as contribution is gone. If you were starting from square one all over again, what would you say in the first paragraph to sum up all your previous work to this new era of readership?
1: You know, to be honest with you, I would have the same exact process that I have right now. I would write out my goal, whatever that was. And now if, if my work was already deleted, then maybe that would shift my priorities. I'd go back to writing a book or something like that. But I probably still work on what I'm working on right now because it's what I have a passion for. It's what I'm clear on that I want to, to bring out. And it's something that I know will be beneficial for a lot of people. So I I know this sounds like I'm dodging the question or making it easy, but I really would be doing the same thing that I, I'd still be reading my goal. I'd be feeling into the 10 ways my life will change and I would get into taking inspired action just like I do every day.
0: Hmm. And if there was just one thing that you could focus on for the listeners as far as what they can actually do right now today to cultivate more mindfulness, more commitment, more inspired action, what is one thing that people could do today to move closer to better health and wellness?
1: This is really hard for me to say because I'm not big on self-promotion, but what I recommend to people is to read my book. Because to be honest with you, the way that I I look at my book is um My book is in a way, even though I don't use the word, I think I use the word spirituality in the book one time. Um, the book is very much on a spiritual tone. It's more about getting to the deep essence of what really drives us and what really holds us back, getting clarity on what that really is. And it's different from what we typically think it is in terms of in our industry, what we're told. I feel like if people were to read my book, to me, it's like a it's the cross between health and fitness and spirituality. In spirituality, we see a lot of stuff about the deep essence of who we are and what this life is all about and stuff. But a lot of times we see that and we have a hard time knowing what to do with it. And in health and fitness, if you read, if you look at books at Barnes & Noble or whatever, in there you see a lot of programs for nutrition, exercise, but there, there's not a lot as much on the deep essence of what's really going on with us. It's just programs that we're supposed to follow routinely. So I sort of feel like my book bridges the two. It gets into the deep essence of what's really going on with us, and then it also gives practices that are actually really effective in helping us to make changes in our life.
0: Last question, the most important, I feel like, and every guest on the show has had a unique answer. And I'm curious for you, what is your definition of wellness? What does wellness mean to you?
1: Wellness is living in a way that where we're trending toward more and more fulfillment and joy, regardless of what area of life that's in. And and really, it includes all areas of life. Wellness, I think of wealth, wellness and health as the same thing. Um, in, in terms of the way that I look at them, health to me isn't just about the physical body; it's also about our relationships and our livelihood, the way that we're living on a day-to-day basis. So, a lot of times we look at wellness. Uh, you know, for example, if you look up like the definition of health, it'll say like a state that's free of aches and ailments, a balance of mind, body, and spirit. There's it's some type of a state where things are going well. Whereas to me, wellness is about getting into a pattern. It's more about the process living a process that's fulfilling as opposed to getting to the state where we're then fulfilled.
0: You can read more about David at immovableheart.com as well as pick up his book. When you guys are done getting the book, please email me josh at wellnessforce.com. Let me know your thoughts. I'm curious what comes up for you with generosity, integrity, patience, inspired action, mindfulness, and commitment. We're also going to give away three free copies of David's book over at the show notes page wellnessforce.com slash heart. David, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's been a pleasure getting to know you reading your book. We covered so much value on the show today. Is there anything you feel like we missed that you'd like to mention?
1: No, you know, I'm just so honored to have me on the show. I love your show. I listen to it. I don't listen to many podcasts. I actually try to get off the computer as much as I can when I'm not working, but you're one of the few podcasts that I listen to and I thoroughly enjoy. So thank you again. It truly has been an honor to be on your show with you.
0: Well, thank you. That means a lot to me, David. And again, Wellness Force Radio, pick up a copy of David's book. And I don't care if you don't want to promote it, David. I do, because it made an impact for me. It allowed me to have better conversations with my friends. And it actually changed the way I coach clients a little bit in the patience portion. So make sure to pick up a copy of David's book at Immovable Heart. David Zappozotti, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, Josh. I appreciate it.
0: That wraps episode 34 and the very first episode of 2016. Welcome to the new year. I'm so glad that you made it all the way to the end of the show. As always, I do have some treats and today is no different. The first episode of 2016 is part one of a six-part series for you entitled Wellness in the New Year. Our next guest tomorrow is going to be Stacy Conlin, a mindfulness expert. She's coming on tomorrow morning talk about stress reduction and mindfulness. We'll also have Jesse Lawler from Smart Drug Smarts to talk about brain health and cognition. And we'll wrap up this week with Allison Schaff, a prep dish and registered dietitian specialist on how to integrate diet and meal preparation into your busy life and your hectic schedule. Win a copy of David's book today. Just head on over to the show notes, wellnessforce.com slash heart. Pick up a copy of David's book. As I said, there's three free copies to win. You just enter your name right there on the site. So stoked to here. So even more excited about what we're creating for 2016. If you're still listening, you always get a hookup at the end of the show. If this show resonated with you, please share it with the people you love and care about. Now you get to go and have an amazing day with all the tools and inspiration you got from David and all the guests we've had on Wellness Force Radio this far. And until I see you again tomorrow, I'm wishing you love and wellness.